And even if you go on a statin, a statin isn't going to stop you from getting heart disease. If you say, look, okay, the statin will give me a 40% reduction in heart disease risk. I'll take the 60% or whatever. Well, that's fine. Then we can't talk to you. But if you say, I'm on a statin, I'd now like to do a little better as well. Then we can help. Welcome to The Proof Podcast, a space for science-based conversation exploring the health and longevity benefits that come with mastering nutrition, physical exercise, mindfulness, recovery, sleep, and alignment. Facts, nuance, and trustworthy recommendations, minus the hyperbole. Hi friends, great to be here with you. I'm your host, Simon Hill. I'm a qualified physiotherapist and nutritionist with an undergraduate science degree and a master's in the science of human nutrition. Today I sit down with Dr. David Jenkins, a true giant in the field of nutrition science. Over his 40 plus year career studying nutrition, Dr. Jenkins, both a medical doctor and scientist, has published over 300 original scientific publications. In fact, believe it or not, it was Dr. Jenkins' team who first defined and explored the concept of the glycemic index. His group went on to develop the cholesterol-lowering concept of the dietary portfolio that has entered medical guidelines around the world. It's this dietary portfolio, or the portfolio diet, and its effect on cholesterol and cardiovascular disease risk that is the focus of today's episode. Dr. Jenkins is a brilliant doctor and scientist, and as you'll hear, despite being in this game for a very, very long time, is as sharp as ever and still extremely passionate about creating better health for all. Please enjoy the conversation. This is me and Dr. David Jenkins. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done, so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor, or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app, making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains 8 key nutrients that plant-based eaters 
often fall short in. And the optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA Omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating two to three pieces of fatty fish per week, in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Dr. Jenkins, welcome to the show. I've, uh, I've been reading a lot of your work over the years, so it's a, it's a great pleasure and, and an honor to, to have you on the show today. So um, thank you so much. I'm super appreciative of you taking the time to do this. Well, thank you, Simon. Thank you for putting up with me at this particular time of my day. <laughs> yes, what, what time is it where you are well, and where are now, you? Now we're at six o'clock in, in Toronto. Toronto time, okay. six o'clock. Right, well, I don't want to keep you too long, so let's, let's dive straight in. Um, I'm interested in the, in the origin story of the diet portfolio or portfolio diet as some folks call it. What was it that, that sort of saw you interested initially in the relationship between diet and health and, and, and why the focus on this particular way of eating? Well, I suppose the, the interest was interestingly, I was, I was at, at Oxford at the time and the guy in the next lab to me, the lab that really be, we shared in common, Bob Good, came from Toronto and um, I was doing metabolic studies and he said, you want low serum cholesterol, don't you? Well, why don't you try plant-based diets? And I said, it's a good idea. Why do you say that? He said, because I was working in Toronto on plant-based diets and I was working with Dr. Alec Little at St. Michael's Hospital, which is the hospital I'm currently at. And was and he is the guy who actually uh, recruited me to that hospital. I was recruited to the Department of Nutritional Sciences and then he said, well, can I have a joint appointment at St. Mike's? Um, and so... Bob Goodwin, it's a very small world one finds, um, that um, he then said, let's, let's do a vegetarian diet and see what it does to cholesterol. And it did remarkable things. We just had sort of healthy student volunteers and ourselves, mm-hmm. and um, we lowered serum cholesterol levels really quite dramatically. I tend to have a high family history of, 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 of a family history of high cholesterol levels. So for me, it was actually quite dramatic to see that I, I normalised on, on the diet that Bob and I put mm-hmm. together. Um, and so that, that sort of stimulated my interest. And later on, I worked on dietary fibre when I'd qualified in medicine and did a, a research period with the Medical Research Council, influenced by Dennis Burkett, um, who, mm-hmm. who put fibre on the map in a way, recently anyway, right. after his uh, time in Africa and then back from Uganda to stimulate the Medical Research Council into doing work on dietary fibre. So one started thinking of plant foods and plant food components and what sort of things it was in plant food components that reduced cardiovascular risk and also lowered things like obvious risk factors like serum cholesterol. So one was one started one's research, one's medical research career in a gastroenterology unit, interested in what fibre was doing for the bowel and then I was interested also in what it was doing with, with serum cholesterol. 
We noted that it also increased bile acid losses in the faeces, so that was a good reason why it would lower serum cholesterol, because it would act like the drug cholestyramine, taking bile acids out and lowering serum cholesterol. Um, taking bile acids as the metabolites of cholesterol out of the body. So mm -hmm. that all seemed very logical. And then we looked at other foods. We looked at um, we looked at plant sterols and found that they were plant materials that lowered serum cholesterol. Analogs, if you like, of a mammalian cholesterol that the mm -hmm. plants sought, and they blocked cholesterol absorption. So we thought that's interesting. It's another thing. And then we we looked at. Um, I was very interested in Chesar Sitteri's work in Milan. Um, went to visit him. He was working had a massive clinic, metabolic clinic in the hospital, where he fed patients soy products, and mm -hmm. so it became very obvious that some plant proteins also lowered serum cholesterol. So we thought, God, that's another thing. So we did work on that. Um, so we did work on viscous types of fiber, which lowered cholesterol. We did work on plant sterols. We did work on... And nuts also seem to have re reduction of heart disease risk. Um, and they tended to have beneficial effects on, on serum cholesterol, raising HDL cholesterol and lowering L cholesterol, raising the good, lowering the bad, as it were. Right. So that seemed good. So then we started seeing... Well, Look, you've got all these particular plant components that lower cholesterol by just a bit, but you you know you can show it in a trial. And Alexandra, my wife, said, "Well, this is the way. This is not the way to go. Why don't you put them all together? Because no one's interested with these small changes you're getting." And she was right. So <laughs> <laughs> she's a PhD dietitian, but um, okay. so um, that yeah, makes sense then. So I said, "Well, you're right. Yeah, this is this is the way to go." And we said, well, if you do that, you should get almost like an old-fashioned statin. You should get that sort of a, a lowering. And we tried it on ourselves, and it worked. And one does do these things on oneself. So I then thought, well, let's try it in the clinic. Um, and we tried it on patients, and it worked. And at that point, we thought, boy, um, why have we been playing with single things when we should be doing mm -hmm. uh, a combination of things? And we said, well, it's like the financial portfolio. You know, and you, right. you, you spread your risks, you spread your losses mm -hmm. over a range, and you've got stability, but a much bigger effect. So we, we, we said it was our, our dietary portfolio as opposed to our financial portfolio. Of course, nowadays, having a portfolio isn't a good thing. I mean, as the, as the joke goes, um, what, what do you do for work? I'm a, I'm a merchant banker. No, what do you do for actual work? It's <laughs> <is> the joke. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, you, you yeah. may not make a lot of money. But um, so that's what we did. And, and we've, we've, we, we thought, well, it was a good, it's a good concept um, that we can use and add more things to it um, as time goes on so that we can actually enrich a diet with food components, plant food components, which have particular value. Right. So the initial interest was more broad speaking that vegetarian diets seem to be beneficial for cholesterol or heart that disease. That was the initial. Yeah. Then you zoomed in on, on these components. kind of more individual components. You yep. mentioned soy, the phytosterols, fiber uh, and nuts. And then you started thinking, okay, what about if we stack these on top of each other? Correct. The portfolio diet is sort of born... Tell me about how that went from the sort of experimentation with yourself and your patients into clinical trials and 
and, and what you some of the results that the main results that you found through those clinical trials? Well, we the, the first clinical trial we did, um, which was of, of any significance, um, which was published in in JAMA in two thousand and three, was the sort of situation where we we gave we packed all the diets, we packed them so that the patients had all the food they were going to eat for mm. one month. It was given to them in weekly intervals, obviously, and we couriered to them. So we, we did a sort of home metabolic study, if you like, with patients at home with all the food that they would eat. Um, and, and we gave them three diets. We gave them the control diet, which was a standard uh, low saturated fat, low cholesterol diet. Then we gave them the dietary portfolio. Um, and then we gave them the, the control diet, but with a statin. So that that was from it took that for a month, and we got patients to do it in random order. It was actually um, the first part of the study we we, we finished uh, just before we got the SARS one, um, and Toronto almost closed down, and then we ran the rest of the study through the pandemic or the epidemic. It wasn't a pandemic then, um, so that was SARS one. So we're now back into SARS-2, uh, running bigger clinical trials. Um, John, John Stephen Piper is running probably, I think, the biggest one, the, the, the cheap studies, he calls it, uh, where we're looking at, um, at not just sort of, as we were doing then, uh, 30 to 50 people or even 200 people or 300 or 400 people, which we did later on. But now he's taking it on to a longer term study, hoping to, to put that into the long term so that we actually have a chance to get cardiovascular events during the right. length of time that people are in mm -hmm. the study. Because remember, the early studies were really just to show that it was effective in lowering serum cholesterol right. and reducing cardiovascular mm -hmm. risk factors. And so we, we ran a number of these studies. The last one we ran was not a metabolic study. The metabolic study was interesting because it showed that the 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 diet itself showed about a 10% lowering of serum cholesterol, which you'd expect if it was low saturated fat, low cholesterol diet. And it was a sort of standard diet that's therapeutic. The portfolio went down to almost 30% reduction and the statin went down to about 32% reduction. So very close for, for statin and diet. And that, that I think, made us feel that this was going to be something that was therapeutically worthwhile. So we went into a much bigger study that we did and published that later on in, in JAMA in 2011, where we took people right away across the country, a multi-centre study, um, with about 350 people in the study altogether, um, and uh, showed that um, we got about half the compliance when people were asked to buy things themselves in the supermarket. Right. Go, go and buy your own diet, um, but they got half the result, half the half the, the reduction with about half the compliance. So that mm -hmm. was that was good because it was still about a fourteen percent reduction, fourteen to fifteen percent reduction in 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 LDL cholesterol, and that's good. So we felt that that was worth worth having, and that's where we've developed it further. We we mm -hmm. then looked at what the effect was. Supposing if you gave more. Um, more sort of monounsaturated fat, like the Mediterranean diet, which is becoming very popular. So we, we use monounsaturated fat, we use canola oil, in fact, as the monounsaturated fat source. Um, 
and showed that um, that, that too uh, had a beneficial effect in raising the HDL cholesterol. Mm. So that was useful in that it, it even had a better effect on the total cholesterol to HDL cholesterol ratio, which has been one of the standard markers uh, for heart disease risk. So that that worked well. Again, that was a metabolic study. Um, I think we've given up on metabolic studies now because we no longer have the facility to do that because mm. um, it takes quite a lot of space and, and, and planning to run metabolic studies, store all the food and pack them all. Um, it, they're, they're really quite costly, but useful. We thought we'd now prove that point. It's now on to trying to see what the clinical effects are. So we've got a study we're running right now where we're hoping to see whether um, arterial damage, uh, not heart disease, heart attacks, but at least arterial damage is lessened by people who are on a dietary portfolio. And we're right. using magnetic resonance imaging to gain in, in images of the coronary arteries mm -hmm. and to some extent of the... Of the um, sorry, the carotid arteries in the neck and the coronary arteries too, we're looking at. And we're looking at other things too, like liver fat and other things to make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing. Um, and and that, though, that study is currently underway. Um, we've got another year before that study finishes. Well, I'll be uh, interested in, in seeing that when it comes out and sharing that with everyone. And I'm glad that you, you, you touched on um, that there's a group of researchers looking at how the portfolio diet affects cardiovascular events. That was a, yes. a question yes. um, that I had. I think that will be really interesting as well. Just with regards to, you mentioned there that in the earlier studies, in a more metabolic sort of setting, when when folks adopted the portfolio diet, they had around a 30% reduction in their LDL cholesterol, which was wow. very similar to the statin. And then as you sort of move to a more free living type intervention where they're not given all of their food of course like any dietary intervention the adherence drops off a bit but right. they still got about a 14 percent reduction yeah. i think you said in ldl cholesterol which is great because it tells you even if you don't do this perfectly Correct. there are still yeah, some benefits absolutely. Up there's still benefits yeah right and that's my question is do you have any kind of sense as to how clinically meaningful a 14% reduction in LDL cholesterol could be for someone just by looking at that other research out there? Well, people often say that there's either a one-to-one -one or a two-to-one uh, effect. So a percent reduction in, uh, in, in LDL cholesterol may give you a one-to-two percent reduction in cardiovascular risk. I wouldn't right. want to make that point um, too strongly until we've got the data in. But at least you can say a one-to-one -one relationship may not be unreasonable. So a 14% reduction is what we'd have, at least is what we'd have hoped for. And I say that not just because of the effect on serum cholesterol, because what, what John did in his, his group with our, uh, with our group looked at all the dietary portfolio studies that had been done and looked at all the risk factors not only did you not only did he find significant reductions in LDL cholesterol, which was what we'd expected, but he also found small but significant reductions in blood pressure and reductions in C-reactive protein, which is the inflammatory biomarker which everyone is getting very concerned about because it seems to be related to both 
cardiovascular disease and cancer. So if you can lower that, that would seem to put you in a good mm. position uh, for cardiovascular disease and for cancer possibly, possibly, possibly. Mm -hmm. In your studies, um, something that often comes up, uh, I see pushback in, in various dietary interventions is folks saying, well, how much of the uh, beneficial change in that biomarker is due to, let's say, the inherent properties of the foods versus weight loss? So during these trials where people, their LDL cholesterol came down, say, 30%, was there significant weight loss or weight loss differences? What we, what we have, they, they, <clears throat> I think there could have been weight loss, but because they're metabolically controlled studies, people are weighed twice a week very often, certainly once a week, and their diet intake is adjusted to maintain their weight so that the right. weight at the beginning is the same as the weight at the end. Mm -hmm. So you're right, weight is a very important factor, but we, we didn't allow that to happen in the metabolic studies. In the ad libitum study, the big one that we did, uh, where we've got the data, which, is fine, which has been published, um, that study, uh, we got about a one kilogram weight, diff both, both, both tended to lose weight, yes, but we got a one kilogram difference, which wasn't significant um, mm -hmm. at the end of the the six months. So um, you can say there may be there may be some weight loss, but it's it's not a not a big deal. And certainly, in John's studies meta analyses, um, he showed that that the weight change wasn't significant. Right. So there's there's some inherent properties of these foods that are likely having this direct effect on cholesterol and Absolutely. or a result of maybe foods that are also being displaced from, from the Well, I think well. the displacement is a really important thing and I think that's a tremendously important area that we tend to ignore. So you're quite right. I mean, if someone has a, a sort of a soy burger or a bean burger as opposed to a beef burger, there's going to be a displacement there of saturated mm. fat and cholesterol. So you're absolutely right. And just by, by Hegstead and Key's equations, you're going to get um, a reduction um, in cholesterol. Absolutely. Mm. And for, for folks who may be thinking who's, who's Hegstead and who's Keyes, uh, perhaps go back to an episode I did with Alan Flanagan and we explained their research and what that calculation um, Yeah, good means. for you. Um, now, we haven't quite sort of stepped through the portfolio diet in terms of more of the specifics. So you've outlined some of these key components, but in these in these studies, when you're getting people, I mean, metabolic study, you're sort of just giving the food to them. But in the free living ones, how are you kind of explaining the diet portfolio? Or if you were, if someone came to you today and said, "I'd love to do this," how how do you explain to them? you know, the foods that they're going to be adding to their plate. What does that look like? Well, that's what, what are the, what, what's, what's the eating plan, as it were. Yes. <clears throat> well, I mean, things like oat bran is, is an excellent source of viscous fibre. Um, uh, soy milk is, um, has got soy protein in it. Um, and um, so for breakfast, why not have some oat brown with soy milk and then why not some berries, some fruit which are also low glycemic index and have a lot of other nutrient properties so have some 
have some berries on some some oatmeal with uh, with soy milk, and that that would be useful as part of a breakfast if you like. And quite honestly, um, certainly the use of things like tofu, and certainly we 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 certainly we include um, the other sort of plant-based protein, soy soy especially protein and legumes in general foods right. we, we include those in the diet so you could have bean stews as as, as lunch um you could have uh, you can have sort of tofu and uh, and and uh, stir-fried vegetables for dinner these are the sorts of, of way that one would change the the eating pattern that you would eat and you could have snacks with with nuts um and uh, you can have some plant sterile on the on the bread that you're you're eating with your meals, and the breads themselves we would we would suggest, and we we did actually provide it. We provided um, oat bran bread, and um, it was held together to some extent by a little psyllium, which is a viscous fibre. You don't have to put much in, but that makes a very good sort of fairly dense whole whole grain bread, so that um, those two can be eaten, and they will lower serum cholesterol in addition. So these sorts of foods, we constructed some foods, but it's become much easier to recommend these diets as we've seen um, different types of foods that are manufactured foods um, on the market that are healthy. Now, not all, all foods um, are as measurably healthy as we would like, but um, we think they set people in the right direction. So that's what we're trying to do. <clears throat> and we do actually rely quite a lot on things like tofu and tempeh and these sorts of foods because I think we think they're valuable, even though soy has been getting a bad rap for the wrong reason. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, InsideTracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. 
Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash livingproof to download your zero-cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash livingproof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. Tell me about soy quickly. So what what is it about soy that soy was, made it soy, special? Yeah, everyone was worried. It was so, soy's got seven S um, globulin fraction, uh, which Chesosotery in, in, in Italy um, has shown uh, has an inhibitory effect. It's small peptides have an inhibitory effect on cholesterol biosynthesis in the liver. Right. That seems to be one of the effects they have. Uh, they do seem to, overall, whatever the mechanism, lower serum cholesterol, mm. even when you give it in a balanced diet. Um, it certainly has some lowering potential. It's not big. I mean, it's, it's maybe 3 4 5%. So it's not the big one on the market. But on the other hand, you've also got the displacement value you were talking about. So what is the food that it's displacing? And that would have tended to raise the cholesterol by about the same amount. So it actually has, it can, those sort of foods can make a significant mm. difference in terms mm. of cholesterol reduction. Mm. And as you said before, which I think is a really important point, is that sometimes you can look at a study and look at a specific food and its effect on, say, cholesterol. Um, and you might think, well, the magnitude of that is not huge, but that's on its own. And when you stack these things on top of each other within a dietary pattern, as you say, then um, all of a sudden you can get um, quite a, a large shift in a biomarker, in this case cholesterol, which could be very meaningful for your um, health. David, when, when you were sort of creating the eating plan and, and, and uh, helping folks in the studies or, or, or just patients in general, understand what their kind of goals were here were you explaining it as you kind of just did before where you're saying look here's some breakfast lunch and dinner ideas these are foods that we'd like you to kind of eat more of and you're pointing to say for example soy and nuts and seeds and and oats and eggplant um or were there were there any specific targets where you were like we want you to eat this much we are quite right there are targets and and we 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 the dietitians uh, will put out a, a target uh, for what the patients on the diets actually were expected to eat per day, how much viscous fibre, how much soy protein or, or, or other legume proteins, um, mm. how, what, what weight of nuts they were meant to have. Et so these were actually pre-specified. People stuck to them about mm. 50%. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and I think... And I think 
as we've gone forward, we've thought it's more important to be more positive about the rather than saying what you shouldn't eat. Um, it seems to be better to say, look, why don't you have sort of uh, two ounces of oats a day or whatever a day? Why don't you have um, uh, why don't you have some some tofu? Why don't you have sort of sort of the equivalent of, of uh, 14, 15, 20 grams of protein from tofu a day or more. Uh, see how much more you want to eat. If you want to eat less, then we would suggest that you probably had a little bit more plant sterol on your bread because you can you can mix your your portfolio because it is it is literally a portfolio. You can mix it so that it it becomes the profile of the sorts of foods that you like. Um, and you take those foods, um, and we do that by trial and error as one goes along. Um, and patients themselves are very good at finding out what they like. And then when we look at the diet history, with the, their diet history, we can say, well, can you modify? That's why I say I don't want to give people just a sort of straight pattern because I think it may not help if I say, look, well, you really ought to have about 20 or 30 grams of of um, of legume protein a day, they say, what the hell's that? <laughs> uh, so one has to, to look at what they've got. Say, look, why don't you have some beans, peas and lentils? Have you tried, um, if, if you tried tofu? Um, no, never tried tofu. Well, look, I suggest you go out to a Chinese restaurant and actually see what they do with tofu, see how you like it. You know, there's a lot of education that goes on. I think one's going to do this sure. thing. Um, satisfactorily so we do we for a time we did have one very good restaurant that used to put on meals for all our patients so that we, mm. we could just send them off there have a meal learn about the food then go and take the diet mm. yeah well I, I think um you know of course social media has its good parts and bad parts but i'd say one of the the really positive things is there's a lot more recipes that are very accessible and yes. there's a lot of people putting up content showing how to use yeah. a food like tofu and how to make it actually enjoyable. Um, but I really like what you're emphasizing here that um, you know any step in that direction is going to be good and even if you don't do this perfectly, you can still get some, some benefits. Absolutely and you can keep on building. Yeah. I came across a chart and I'm not sure if your group created it or someone created it um, after looking at your studies, but it was a it's a it's a chart that kind of summarizes all of this and shows the different um, characteristics of the portfolio diet, and then has like a a sort of percentage LDL reduction you could expect to get from each of those. Um, yes, yeah, I think, I think it came from your group, and yeah. uh, I'll I'll share that with you. And if it did come from your group, I'll put that into the show notes. Um, okay. For, for folks to, to look at a little further. Well, I have to say that my, my daughters, my daughters also brought out, a, I've just brought out a cookbook by, by, by I'm, I, this is a conflict of interest, I'm telling you. So I declare to the audience that this is my, these are my daughters, therefore I'm highly conflicted in, in being positive about it. I, 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 and I will obviously say, of course I'm positive and you'll have to just believe that I'm not lying. But anyway, um, I think it's a good book. And they spent a lot of time, spent a year putting it together. So there is a, a, a dietary portfolio book brought out by Academic Press, interestingly. So Elsevier okay. put it out under yeah. Academic Press. And um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's not a cookbook, it's a sort of 
dietary book explaining what the portfolio diet is about um, and uh, giving a lot of recipes. So it might be useful awesome. for some people. Yeah, I didn't know that that was out. So that's great. We'll put that. It's, 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 that. Both, in, it's both in English and now in German. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. Well, we'll put that into the, the, uh, the show notes and um, no excuses now to my German friends out there. Right. Um, David, nuts and seeds. I want to I zoom in a little bit more on nuts and seeds um, and then we'll come to plant sterols. But um, what is it about nuts and seeds that seems to be beneficial when it comes to cholesterol, when it comes to cardiovascular disease? I know that within the plant-based community, there does seem to be some different ideas out there and, and there are some folks who say, look, um, you know, you should take it easy on, on, on nuts and seeds because they're very calorically dense and they're high in fat. And then there are other people who say, well, if you look at the, the, the studies out there, these mono and, and polyunsaturated fats that are in nuts and seeds and even in some oils seem to be beneficial. So I'm interested in, in kind of how you reconcile all of that. I think you're right, and I think it's it's a it's a good point you're you're making some. But one of the interesting things is that on nuts, certainly, we do have some data, and we get it from the PREDIMED study. So let's forget all the other. There was a there was a lot of data before the PREDIMED study from cohort studies suggesting that there was a reduction in the risk of heart disease, and and uh, Penny Chris Etherton did a lot of work on that early on and showed that. Um, if you put these studies together, it looked like we got a definite signal uh, for protection from heart disease. And, and Frank Hu and others have, have, have looked at that too in, uh, in the Harvard cohorts. So the background is that, yes, it does, they do seem, forget mechanism, but they mm -hmm. do seem to relate to heart disease. And the PREDIMED study um, out of Spain with Jordi Salas and the others um, showed quite nicely that um, if you gave people on a Mediterranean diet either olive oil supplements or nut supplements for a matter of years, then you got less stroke. Definite, very definite reduction in stroke. So very important part of cardiovascular disease was the reduction in stroke, uh, which they showed quite clearly, and as good as you would see with any drug therapy. So... I don't know why, but it does seem to be so. Mm -hmm. And so that's been the argument why the, the sort of olive oil, the nuts and these sort of oils, the natural oils, as it were, contained in oily foods may have particular health benefits. Uh, they certainly tend to raise HDL cholesterol. They don't raise, sorry, they raise HDL cholesterol. They don't tend to raise they raise HDL, they lower, tend to lower LDL if they do anything to LDL, but they may do nothing. Mm -hmm. But they certainly tend to raise uh, the HDL uh, content in the blood, which is the healthy cholesterol over time. So, again, that could be very important. Nuts also have other things in them. They've got a lot of phenolic compounds in them um, uh, that, that may be, we know, may also relate to reduction in heart disease, possibly because of antioxidant effects. Uh, again, this is all hypothesis, which we're trying to pin down with uh, mechanistic studies. But again, we, we don't have 
strong data. We don't have randomized controlled trial data. As I say, the one thing we've got is the PREDIMED study, right. um, which did show two things, olive oil and nuts, as protective mm-hmm. um, in the, on the background of a, of a Mediterranean-type diet. So I think that's what you can say. And the Mediterranean diet itself is a lower meat diet than the average Western diet. Mm. So I think that one can say that, um, and I think some of that's probably the important thing to say, that it's a general direction that we're trying to go in um, because we're trying to go in, a, and it's only the general direction where you've got these signals um, mm. for reduced chronic disease. Mm-hmm. You can't say that a specific thing shows that it does a specifically good thing long-term. And it's a long-term you want. Um, we, we talk about risk factors, but what do we know about them? We've probably a load of risk factors we're not even measuring. There are mm-hmm. probably risk factors we don't even know about, so we can't yeah. measure them. This is such a, such a good point um, because I, I, I land in the same position as you on this, David, and... And I think um, some, from from my understanding, some of the view um, that perhaps nuts and seeds, let's say, are uh, deleterious for cardiovascular health, seem to be zooming in on 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 very very particular mechanisms. And as you say, it can be very difficult to work out. Um, you know, a does that does that mechanism actually play out over the long term? Are there other mechanisms that we're not even aware of? And so coming out, zooming out and looking at what is the actual long-term heart health outcome data that we do have gives us a little bit, I guess, uh, a better idea as to what is the net effect of this food when you're consuming it. I think that's, that's right and I think that would sum things up. Let me just say though that I do think that the human metabolic system, digestive system as well, is is very protein. It can take in a wide range of different diets and people can still be relatively okay, provided they don't put on weight. Um, you're relatively okay if you're on the Inuit or Eskimo diet or whether you're on the Gujarat Indian diet. Do you know what I mean? Uh, totally different in terms of fat content. Um, but one of the common features is increased metabolic activity, exercise, being physically active. I think this is, if, if you're physically active and stay slim, then right. you can be healthy on a number of healthy type diets. Mm-hmm. And I think, to be honest, what I would say right now is um, you've got to eat for the planet. You can't not eat for the planet. And I think even when we tell patients that, if you go on this sort of diet, it does you good. If you do it well, um, it's a sort of diet that will benefit the environment, will benefit your children and your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get them on this sort of diet too. And we find that's very helpful of getting people to stick on a healthy diet. It's true that the religions have been much better at getting people to stick on a dietary plan than physicians have been. <laughs> For the most part, we've, we've, we've been pretty much failures. Yeah. I mean, we've tried to say, eat more fruit and vegetables. How long have we been saying that for? I mean, for heaven's sake. And we're still saying it, and people are still saying, mm, maybe. <laughs> 
So let me ask I you do, a, a, yeah. a, a quick question about uh, body weight. So if someone's if someone's listening and thinking, okay, well, so body weight's the most important thing here, and and being active, would you say someone? I guess two questions here: Can thin people develop cardiovascular disease and and have a heart attack? Yes, and yes, they can. If someone if someone is say thin but has a very, very high LDL cholesterol. Let's take, for example, right now there's, um, you know, a a minority group but a very loud one that are adopting a very, very um, animal-based, high-saturated fat sort of all-meat or mostly meat diet. The keto diet. Yeah. Right. And um, some of those folks will have an LDL cholesterol that will go up to 500. Um, Not everyone, but but that's not unusual. There are people with LDL cholesterol at that level that's diet induced, um, but perhaps they've lost some weight and perhaps they are a healthy body weight. Is is that um, increasing their risk, do you feel, of experiencing a heart attack or stroke later in life? Well, I think you, you, you've, you've summed it up. If they've lost some weight and they feel better, uh, they're better. Um, their cholesterol levels or their lipid levels may be high. Um, so why not get those down as well and then have your body weight down and then have a real reduction in risk? I mean, you know, one's, one's saying, yes, it's a good thing to get your body weight down if that's the way you've got it. Mm. But it's much more important... Uh, to keep everything as, as as well as you can, keep your blood pressure down as well. You don't want that to go up, so make sure that's down. Uh, make sure you, your HDL cholesterol is up a little bit. Make sure your LDL cholesterol is down. And there are plenty of people actually who, who will say, well, look, I'm on a very good diet, I'm exercising, but my HDL is still low. That may well be because you're either genetically programmed to have a lower... HDL cholesterol, or because the carbohydrate in your diet tends to reduce um, the HDL cholesterol, the lack of, if you like, the lack of fat. Does that make a difference in terms of heart disease risk, you're saying? I don't know that it does, and I don't know that we've got really good data to show this. We don't have data for people who have actually, on a good diet, have made a difference to most of their metabolic risk factors. And having one or two remaining risk factors, um, which may be there because of genetics, um, does that make a big difference to them? I'm not sure that I know. Um, Because frankly, we've had enough trouble showing that with the Predimed study, for example, uh, they needed 7,000 people, um, studied very carefully, um, with a lot of documentation of what they're doing, and then very accurate assessment of cardiovascular status over a four-year period. It was planned even to go for seven years. But over a four-year period, very careful stuff. And you're talking of millions of dollars just to get some information. And people say, well, what happens about me and what happens? No, it's very difficult to become that specific. We can only say, in general, these are the things we think tend to be healthy. Um, and there are people, as you say, there are people in the in the vegan community who believe it should be a low-fat vegan diet because that's the best thing for everyone. And certainly, if you look at Dean Ornish's data, um, he's done very well um, with low-fat vegan diets and shown that angiographically he's got improvements 
in the coronary artery. They're not big studies, I have to say. These are not big studies, but they're fairly intense studies, and they seem to have shown significance. So, yes, and uh, and and Pritikin before him did the same sort of thing with with plant-based diets. There are a lot of people who've been doing this with low-fat diets, but on the other hand, when you look at at, at Walt Willett and his, his, his exposition of what he's found with the Harvard cohorts, he has found that people who have more plant protein and more plant lipids in their diets do better in general. So, um, again, what are we comparing it with? Well, probably we're comparing it with animal products. Right. So, again, that you know there may be differences there that make it less clear and less easy to to come up with a clear clear conclusion yeah i think that's important with the the ornish and pritikin work is that it it wasn't that the their diets definitely did well but they weren't compared to a plant-based diet with more fats Correct. from nuts and seeds and yes. from oil and stuff so it's hard to compare those two sort of um style eating patterns on on hdl I've got a couple of questions here. So one is if, if, and I think you've kind of alluded to this, but if someone's listening and thinking, okay, well, my HDL is a little bit low, um, what foods would you recommend they eat more of to potentially see that go up or what could they do in their lifestyle to see that go up? And then the second question I have is um, also on HDL is what do you make of the drug trials that um, increased HDL but didn't seem to have um, an effect on on outcomes. Well, no, and I think you, you've raised two very good points. <clears throat> In terms of the drug trial, um, <clears throat> they kept the HDL high, um, and they didn't see the benefit. But if you think of the lipoproteins, they're like boats. I mean, you've got the LDL boat, if you like, carrying the cholesterol um, from from the liver. Uh, to peripheral tissues and you've got the HDL boat if you like carrying the cholesterol back again to the liver so that's a sort of reverse cholesterol uh, transport um, well what what you do with the, with the drug is you, you, you see if you can raise the level of HDL cholesterol you can either raise the level of HDL cholesterol by increasing the size of your fleet and keeping it working hard, and uh, and and getting back uh, to to the so that there's an enormous amount of traffic, if you like. So you increase right. the traffic, mm-hmm. increase HDL traffic from peripheral tissues back to liver, or you can have um, a, a fleet which is increasing in size, um, but the boats have got their sails furled, and they're just static. So they're still high HDL, but right. they're not doing their job. Mm. So I think it's very important that the activity of the HDL um, is, is, is assessed in terms of reverse cholesterol transport. And mm. you may be able to have quite low, supposing that the boats, they'd got less boats, but they were much more active. They were supercharged in terms of speed going to the periphery and taking cholesterol away. Then you might have an even even greater benefit with a lower HDL cholesterol level if the cholesterol 
if the HDL was more active in terms of its function. Mm-hmm. So it's the function of the HDL which is which is really important. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, the drug trials uh, were found not to be increasing the function. So that's so. Don't blame HDL itself, but blame the fact that possibly the activity of the HDL was reduced. That's a really really good um, analogy. I haven't heard that one before. Um, but where does that land people in terms of when you get a blood test then? And you and you get a number back with your HDL. Well, yes, then you'd, you'd like you'd like the the boats to be in in good number, but you'd also like them to be active. Um, and I think probably um, they may be um, in better number and better activity if you lose some weight. So people like me um, have to start losing weight around our middle that we've allowed to accumulate over time and that's that's mm-hmm. a, a big problem as one gets older mm-hmm. uh, you're all right you're going to be fine you're going to be fine for another 10 20 30 years but in 30 years time you'll be saying yeah i'm not quite as slim as i was right. uh, when i did the the bulk of my interviews <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. i better get back to that because you'll, you'll then be the executive getting other people doing interviews you see that's the trouble and you'll be sitting at a desk all the time and you'll find that, boy, you've got to start taking care of yourself. So I think that's important. So people have to take care of themselves. They've got to exercise and lose their weight. And those are, those are two very good ways of, even if your HDL doesn't come up high, it's active. Right. So that, that, that's important. And then I think some, it, it, looks, it looks like, and I'm not going to emphasize it too much because other people will disagree, um, but it looks as if the oils, uh, the monounsaturated natural oils that have not been highly processed um, or processed at all, minimally processed or just in the food itself, um, these also tend to raise, if you reduce the, certainly mm. uh, the, the, refined, the refined carbohydrates in your diet, which tend to uh, lower HDL, if you reduce these by having a little bit more of these beneficial plant oils, you tend to do better. Mm-hmm. And I say that advisedly because, as I just said to you, uh, Walt Willett and his group have shown that uh, higher intakes of vegetable oil and vegetable protein as a percentage of your total calorie intake tend to do better with people in terms of chronic disease. Okay. So exercise, losing a little bit of weight if, if you feel like you need to around um, the belly, lowering the refined carbohydrates yeah. and incorporating some of these plant fats into the diet can be good ways to either yes. raise HDL or, or improve its function, its activity, to, its function. to carry yeah. cholesterol out of the blood. Um, okay, I think those are, those are really great tips and also quite comforting if someone is noticing that their HDL is a little bit low and they can't seem to, to, to get it to increase, you can still impact its function potentially, yeah. um, at least through losing weight um, and exercise. Tell me a little bit more about plant sterols. I think some, some people listening may be hearing uh, this term uh, for the first time. So what are these, where do you find them and how much do you need to lower your cholesterol? We have cholesterol in our bodies, and that's what we use. It's a, it's a, it's a structural element, and it's part of our cells. So, I mean, people say, well, of course we need cholesterol. 
Well, you don't because you synthesize enough of it. You don't need it. But you do, in, in effect, you do need it. It's just that you don't need to have a, an external source of it. That's the important right. thing. But ch- cholesterol is certainly very important in the body, and we do need it. Um, we seem to be able to get rid of a lot of it with uh, cholesterol-lowering medications, and we don't seem to come to any grief um, with uh, with 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 very low cholesterol levels. So we don't have to worry too much about it. Um, but it does tend to be synthesized where it's necessary. The plant uses um, plant sterols, which are a little different from our cholesterol levels, and it, it uses it for various functions. So you find it um, in leafy vegetables will have quite a, a, a load of plant sterols in them. So will the plant oils, the seeds. They will have quite a lot. So the oils that you will get normally will have um, an appreciable amount of plant sterol in them. Not large amounts, but you know a few hundred milligram amounts, not gram amounts, hundred milligram amounts, so that you can get plant sterols uh, through vegetables and through natural oils, nuts, these sort of things. And we did a we did a high plant-based diet, really very, we called it the simian diet, which we thought was the great ape diet, as it were. And we looked at what our people were eating um, in terms of uh, in terms of plant sterols. And Peter Jones uh, in Canada did the analyses, he's, he's one of the great experts on plant sterols, did the analyses of, of, of the dietary intakes. And um, it looked as if we were having about um, a gram a day of plant sterols got from all these sources. Um, plant sterols were recognized quite some time ago. Um, people like Scott Grundy showed that they lowered serum cholesterol. Um, and it was sort of in the era when we were looking at dietary fiber, we were looking at plant sterols, we were looking at all these sort of plant components. And he thought that was possibly an important way in which plant oils also lower serum cholesterol, which they do. And so we thought, well, this is great. Let's let's test these. Other people have been testing them. And we thought they should be part of the portfolio. So we ended up doing some studies on plant sterols. But plant sterols have been around, as I say, since about the 60s as being an interest. Um, But... um, they became more interesting when when they found how they could be esterified um, and put into things like margarines to enrich them. And these margarines were quite potent in lowering cholesterol by about 7 to 10%. So, you know, quite good lowering um, in terms of serum cholesterol. And you could get even more percentage reductions if you took up to 2 grams a day, which is twice the amount that we would have taken on a very strict, high plant-based diet. Um, Obviously, those who are on a no plant-based diet with very few oils, except very refined um, industrially produced oils, these these people would have low um, plant sterol intakes. Mm. Um, And so that became very much something that seemed seemed of interest. There is, an, there is a concern uh, with hypersterolemia um, where people are genetically um, programmed so that they actually absorb the plant sterols and they don't necessarily have the cholesterol reducing effect 
that you see and plant sterols just like cholesterol if they build up and perhaps even worse possibly um, may actually increase the risk of heart disease so these are right. there aren't many people with this genetic disorder and they've usually got premature cardiovascular disease but i think one should check to make sure one's got people without a history of um, hypersterolemia uh, otherwise, you don't want to give them additional plant cereals. Right. But I think in the normal diet, they're a very healthy component that can be used to lower serum cholesterol by blocking cholesterol absorption, by blocking the, the mammalian cholesterol absorption by the plant cholesterol, which, which, isn't, which tends not to, be, not to be absorbed. Yeah, and just, just, so just clarify that for, for people listening. Are you talking about blocking the absorption of dietary cholesterol for example if you consume plant sterols while you're consuming eggs or meat that contains cholesterol then absolutely you would, you would tend to block that but i think one of the, the important things to say to you is and then people tend to um tend to ignore this the dietary cholesterol your dietary cholesterol intake is normally even for people who take a normal sort of western type diet is less than the cholesterol secreted into your gut sure. from the liver. That's where it's the biliary cholesterol, the bile, bile cholesterol, which takes out the bile, which takes out both the cholesterol and bile acids, two ways you lose cholesterol from the body. That's where the major cholesterol comes from. So that even if you've got a zero cholesterol dietary intake, plant sterols will still lower your serum cholesterol. Right. Not because they're reducing your dietary cholesterol, but because they're reducing the cholesterol reabsorbed um, after it's been excreted in the bile. So the right. bile goes into the gut, um, there it's blocked for absorption, or if the, the blocking agent isn't there, it's absorbed, a large proportion is absorbed. Um, before the residual goes out into the feces, if you take the blocking um, plant sterile, the plant's version of cholesterol that blocks cholesterol absorption, then a much larger proportion of the dietary cholesterol or the biliary cholesterol will go out into the feces. And excuse me if I didn't didn't hear this, but um, did you mention, so in your study or if someone's listening and um, they're interested in plant sterols, what's the, the sort of clinically effective amount that someone would need to to consume say in milligrams per day or something like that well i think we found that two is it seems to be the maximum effect um we found we've got quite good effects with one gram or less right okay so two grams two thousand milligrams so you if you had nine nine hundred milligrams you've still got an effect right one thing that we, we didn't cover on when we were talking about nuts and seeds and oils and, and plant fats, I'm curious as to um, how important you think polyunsaturated omega-3s are, in particular the longer chain ones, so DHA and EPA. Often these come up in this discussion about cardiovascular disease. I know that Dean Ornish in his diet included fish oil. There's folks like Bill Harris um, that are sort of quite actively speaking about the benefits of EPA and DHA. Where do you kind of land on this? Um, I think that um, let's look at the randomised control trials first of all. Um, the randomised control trials of, of fish oil as such 
um, don't show a benefit. Um, they, they come down on the unity line. Sometimes there's a bit of a benefit, but then it comes back to the unity line. It depends which year you're looking at your randomized control trial. As time progresses, they, they oscillate. But they're not far from the, from the unity line. Um, and I think that makes one think that, well, it's not a big effect. There may be some effect, but it doesn't seem a big effect. If you look, if you look at the cohort studies, not the randomized control trials, you look at the cohort studies, which we certainly use for longer term effects, then brilliant. Eating fish, eating fatty fish, fish oil, brilliant, always has a good effect. The trouble, the trouble with that in, in this particular instance is the sort of people who have fish, and I don't want, I don't want to, Bill, I've got a great respect for Bill Harris and, and others like, I like Bill. Um, I don't want to sort of denigrate what they're doing or what they're saying, but I have to say that the sort of people who have smoked salmon and caviar are at a slightly different and elevated income level. Sure. Um, from those in the regular society who who just eat beef and a beef burger, so it's it's difficult it's difficult to say um, in that set situation that it's just the fish oil, yeah. and that's why the disparity between the the clinical trial and the cohort studies poses a real problem that we may have a confounding by the fact that people are different. And even people who are fishermen and who eat fish, their lives are very active, physically very active. They get less heart disease. So I'm not saying that it's just, it's just that, that, that fish oils don't work. What I'm saying is that, the, that it, the magnitude of the effect is likely compounded by the fact that they do a lot of other good things Right. Whichever strata of society they're in, if the upper strata, uh, then they'll be tend to be the, the slimmer people, the more physically active people who have membership at the gym, etc., etc. They're the ones who will have fish. Mm -hmm. um, those who don't uh, are not necessarily looking after themselves quite as carefully. So I'd say that there is um, there is a pharmacological um, fish oil which has been shown in a randomised control trial. Uh, to reduce the risk of heart disease, and that may work. Um, I think that one's got to be careful because the, the guy who started this whole thing off, which is Mike Burr, um, who wrote the DART, who published the DART study, which is the first study to show that fish seem to be protective for heart disease. When he did a later study um, that wasn't published in the Lancet, it was published in the European Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 2003. Um, he showed that, in fact, there was a risk actually attached. He didn't see a benefit in terms of fish oil capsules. So there are some studies that have, from people who we know were once on the fish side. I'm not talking about people like myself who say don't bother, but people are on the fish side where they've had negative studies uh, that have looked actually significantly negative. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, and everyone said well, it, was, it wasn't a good study. Well, no, but he's the same guy who did the initial study that showed everything worked, and everyone said it was a great study. So all I'm saying is that I think one has to be careful. And I would be even more cautious about this. I think when uh, there may be a fish effect, and it may be positive. 
But even if we do find it, then I do think we've got a... a, a, We're talking about a fatty acid. We should be looking at the algal sources. We should be looking at the plant-based sources. Because, quite frankly, the disaster in the oceans is enormous. It is said that we will have no fish, so-called stocks, by 2050. That was before we started getting the accelerated global warming we're getting now. I mean, we've already seen the destruction of the Great Barrier Reef, which I think any Australian will know about, and the rest of the world should know about. We're seeing the destruction, and they're trying to renew it and rejuvenate it, but it's a great difficulty. We are having great difficulty with the seas. We've overfished um, the, the East Coast cod in Canada, it hasn't returned. It has not. 20 years later, it's not returned. So we are damaging the seas. And I think before we look for a small advantage, a small, somewhat nebulous advantage that we can get with something like fish oil, we've got to be very careful. Mm-hmm. That's why I think that's the reason that I'm more critical mm-hmm. than sure. perhaps I would be otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, I think you. I, I think you raise some really, really fair points. And 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 I had Bill Harris on, and and I think he's, he's quite careful guy. not to over yeah. um, exaggerate the findings. And um, you know, he he spoke at length about the fact that there are a lot of conflicting findings. He he did wonder whether some of the fish oil studies were showing different things because of baseline fish intake, and so yeah. whether a supplement's effective Absolutely. or not may may be affected yeah. by that but i think you raise the most important point here which is that things thing it is it is still there's a big question mark over it but one thing that we do know for sure is that pulling the number of fish out of the ocean that we're currently doing is not sustainable and it's causing a, a lot of devastation so it's uh, certainly something for for us to think about um in terms of the the food choices we make I think we have to, I mean, what I would like to say, Simon, is is that I think we have to do that. I mean, the dietary guidelines that um, Sweden made in 2009, first country that actually started saying, when we're talking about dietary guidelines, let's talk also about environment. That's been, that has been the rule now since then, that most... Um, Western countries and countries that are thinking about the world in general are thinking about, have to think about the environment. You can't, it's no point feeding people on a dead planet. Do you know what I mean? You, you've got to have, the human beings have got to live in harmony with their planet. And uh, we, be- we believe, we believe that with plant-based diets you can get good health. I'm not saying that it's the only way that you can get good health, and I'm sure that eating some meat and eating this and that will give you reasonably good health. But I'm just saying that we have to start making radical changes, radical changes, because we really don't have that long. I mean, we've got so many warnings coming out from official bodies on where we're going that if we haven't started listening to this I, and and applying it to diet and everything else that we do in terms of lifestyle i think we 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 sort of we're portraying the ipcc um, warning to us well said you mentioned guidelines there and that that um, gets me me wondering it must be pleasing for you to see the portfolio diet recognized in in sort of various guidelines around the world i think that's it's nice to see that um I'm 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 pleased when I'm pleased gen- 
generally, when one sees that there's some interest in plant foods and plant food ways of doing things, because I think that's the way that uh, the overarching guideline is going. So it's going in the direction of more plant-based diets and more plant-based eating patterns. And a final question here as we kind of come to the end. Um, if, if someone's listening and uh, or perhaps they have a family member who has been told to lower their cholesterol and they come across the, the, the diet portfolio and um, they think, gosh, that sounds difficult. That means I need to give up this and this and I need to eat more of these foods that I've, I've not really enjoyed or eaten a lot of over the years. Um, I might as well just take a statin instead. I can get that 30% reduction, which is equivalent. Um, what would you want that person to think about? That's a very good point, I think, Simon. I think that um, if someone really isn't interested about health and isn't interested about the implications of what they're doing, that's a pity. And I think it's a, it's a big criticism to the whole system of human education. And there are people like that. You're quite right. There are plenty of people who say, look, I don't want anything to do with diet. Just give me a drug. I don't want to change anything I'm doing. For that individual, you really don't have a lot that you've that certainly we've got to offer. I don't think we have. There are those people though who say, "Look, I don't like a lot of the stuff. I'm this. I'm not quite sure about. It. I don't. I want to give it a try." They have to say that. I think I want to give it a try, but I'm not really quite sure. I'm not happy with all of this. So that we hope, we hope that is the value of a portfolio mm. that you say, okay, I don't want to invest in this too much, but I'm more happy in these sorts of investment. And we can say, well, look, have, have a little more of this, have a little more of that. You may not, as, we've, as you yourself said, uh, you won't get to 100%, but you may get to 50%, um, or even 25% of whatever it is, the maximum effect. And not a cholesterol lowering, obviously, I'm, but I'm just saying for the maximum effect. You may, you may have a quarter of the maximum effect, but even that um, is going to give you some extra advantage. And even if you go on a statin, a statin isn't going to stop you from getting heart disease. If you say, look, okay, the statin will give me a 40% reduction in heart disease risk, I'll take the 60% or whatever. Um, well, that's fine, then we can't talk to you. But if you're saying, no, I'm on a statin, I'd now like to do a little better as well, then we can help. So you can take, take the diet with or without the statin. It doesn't mean to say you take it without. But if you are the sort of person who says, look, to hell with everything else, I'll just take a drug and then I'm going to carry on living my life just as I want to, exactly as I've been doing before. And I'm not going to be changed. There's Truly, there's not a lot you can do in there. Many people like that. But as I say, that's a failure of our education system. We haven't brought people up properly. Well, David, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much. You're, you're a wealth of knowledge. And, and as I said at the, the, the start, I've 
been reading your work for a number of years now and, and been inspired by it. And, you've and made still such a, stayed sane. <laughs> yeah, still still managed to say, stay sane. Um, you've oh, you've had such a, a huge contribution. So thank you so much for that. And uh, I'll put links to the, the various papers we've spoken about, to your daughter's new book uh, and to that other sort of infographic um, resource that I, that I mentioned yeah. uh, into the show notes. But, yeah, thank you so much for Super. joining me. Well, good, good for you, Simon. I let everyone said a lot of good things about your show, so well done. You must be proud of yourself for having got where you are. Oh, thank you, David. That means a lot. Cheers. Good. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode and your interest in science-based conversation. I hope you enjoyed it and found the information covered interesting and instructive. If you did and you'd like to show your support for the show, please subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can stay up to date with new episodes and watch them in video format. Yes, the full-length videos. Please also consider subscribing to the show on the Spotify and or Apple Podcast app, wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. You can also leave a review on Apple or Spotify. Again, a great way to support the show and make our content more discoverable for others to enjoy and learn from. If you have any comments about the episodes, suggestions for future episodes, including guests you'd like to see on the show, or questions that you'd like to have answered, please leave those in the comments section on YouTube. I myself and my team will take note of these comments when planning future episodes. Finally, the best way to support the show and receive discounts on products we love is by checking out our sponsors at theproof.com forward slash friends. Enjoy your week, stay well, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode.